Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So today my guest is Nico, and you know what? Once and for all, how do we pronounce the last name? Because I, I think I've tried to pronounce it like sixteen <laughs> different ways. So like, he, here's the kicker: not even I know really know how to pronounce my own name properly. Because I, I I don't pronounce my ths and my v's properly. But it's Nico Vitesi. Okay. Yeah. So it's pretty close to what I was doing. I, I actually had yeah. talked to a friend of mine who's Italian. I was like, "How would you pronounce this name?" And he's like, "Oh, that's uh, Vitesi." And I'm like, okay, I can try. Yeah, that I'm, 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 I'm a pretty good mimic. I can try to do that. Because um, I think originally it was, uh, there's like, in England, a lot of people pronounce it Vets or Vetus or something like that, right? Yeah, you got that and you got Vitesse and Vitesse. There you go. You get Nico Vitesse. I think that's how I pronounced it the first time when we first started working together. And and you were so, you didn't say anything for like three or four times. And you're like, by the way. <laughs> Because I was just I was so excited about yeah. the music being in the podcast. Like, that's going way back. That's been when I was a waiter. Yeah, that was a long time ago. How the world has changed and, and how how your career has changed. I mean, you're doing so much stuff now. You're working for a lot of true crime <laughs> podcasts. You're doing your own albums now. Talk, talk about some of the stuff that you've been doing. Because I don't think that, well, I, some people do, but I don't think every listener knows kind of like, what an important part of the Wicked Library and the Lift you are, and kind of like how having one composer be our resident composer for the show has has taken it to a different level and just given us this consistency. Even though the stories are so varied and you can do so many different styles from so many different cultures, there's there's a consistency by having you involved. Yeah, I mean, it seems to have happened also naturally. Like it was never my intention. I'd like a, before we even got in touch. The only way I knew from podcasts is just sort of what you heard, like in the radio. Like you'd hear like radio shows saying, "By the way, if you want to listen to more me, you can catch this up on podcast." And then 
it was when you got in contact um, through, I think it was like a video game music forum on yeah, Facebook. I think so. And it's just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize how in depth the podcasting world was because you just, when you're growing up, you just sort of think of radio shows and it's all very adulty and sort of either news related or it's like something way back in the 60s or the 70s. And like to know there's like horror podcasts and everything. So, me being the little young 24 year old I was back then, I'm no longer 24, <laughs> really wanting to dig my nails into anything musical, I just sort of leapt into it. And you gave me a very, very long deadline to do the outro for The Lift, which was for Victoria's Music Box. Yeah. And I think I remember because I, I was still quite new to having something better than just a guitar in my bedroom. It was the first time. A couple of months before that, I bought my first Mac, my first computer that can make music. And I remember going through every single individual sound on Logic to try and figure out what would work. And I had a collection of about 100 that I'd use, and then I whittled it down, I whittled it down, I whittled it down. And then it just started to click. And you sort of start to pick up like a, a sixth sense as to what instruments to use. Because it's so very hard to say, well, Victoria's got like a music box, or this show's a horror podcast, so I should probably use some violins or strings and that. But when you have like 10 different music box sounds, you start to play around with the echoes of them and mix them and combine them, and then something just suddenly clicks in it, and it suddenly starts to feel like the world you're making the music for. Yeah. And like, although it's just like, I think it's only like 20, 30 seconds long, the outro for Victoria's Lift is, but that was sort of like a gateway drug, if you call it. Being able to sort of make music for worlds that only, that's a fictional world, mm -hmm. especially in the podcast form where sound is so important. Right? That's basically what podcasts are. So to get the feel of the world right is hugely important. And like, as soon as you get it right one time, you want to, keep doing it it's almost like a dopamine rush you keep wanting to find your next sort of rush yeah and yeah so it grew so with you for doing the, the lift and the wicked library for the first sort of six months and then i started to get attention from other podcasters who listened into the show and it just sort of exploded um i'm now a resident composer i think for about 20 podcasts and i've worked on about 45 podcasts altogether it's so interesting. It's like a whole new career genre, you know. I mean, like to to, to kind of have that be your focus and, and be your specialty and get to do what you love to do is to me that's just amazing. It's so cool. Yeah, it's insanely cool, and it's like because I've, I've been a musician since I was like seven or eight, and like I always played music, but it never. Whenever I performed live or when I was in bands, it never really clicked. Uh, there's this quote by Kurt Cobain and he was chatting about his hero who was Freddie Mercury and this 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 is a dark thing but it kind of resonates and he was saying how Freddie Mercury when he was like, when he was backstage and he heard the crowd it sort of did something to him he sort of put him into this zone and he went on stage he just he became Freddie Mercury Queen and Kurt Cobain was saying how he never got that same feeling like he hated the spotlight and the starlight but when he was in the studio, when he was alone and he could record 
exactly how he wanted it to sound. That when he that's when he got the buzz, and that means sort of made me realize like you don't have to be a performing musician. You don't have to be playing in front of people live. Like there's a whole subculture of your world musicians who only are studio musicians. Mm-hmm. And it's when you start realizing you can start doing a thousand takes and you only really show people the best take you did. That's when it starts saying, oh yeah, this feels more like me. And yeah, once I started doing soundtracks for other people's projects, yeah, that's when it really, really hit home. Like, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's. I mean, I feel the same way because I mean, when I do my narration, um, I think I would have a really hard. I have a lot of respect for and a lot of admiration and enjoyment for live storytelling and and people that get up there and can tell a story live. But for me, that's a big struggle. I, I make a lot of mistakes whenever I'm narrating, and to to have the comfort of taking my time and just going through it and getting each each line, each paragraph, each word to sound the way that I really want it to. Um, there's there's joy in that to, to know that I can, okay, take my time and make it sound right. Whereas if I was going to do it live, I don't know that I could do it. I'm, we've done the show live a couple of times, and each time it was a struggle for me. Uh, not only because I have kind of crippling social anxiety, but uh, also because... Oh, really? oh yeah, man. <laughs> that's, see, that's the thing, you know, like whenever you're this voice through the microphone or this this voice into somebody's, you know, in, into somebody's earphones... Um, you don't think about that stuff because I, I work very hard to make the final pod product very polished and to make it sound as good as possible. Um, so it's it's a lot easier to do that whenever I'm staring at the corner of my room as opposed to staring at a crowd full of people. Well, because uh, this has almost had like the opposite effect on me. Because I mean, I wasn't. I've never been like. Uh... Like, I've never been an outcast, but I was always just naturally shy and introverted. But mm-hmm. since doing what we're doing now, I've sort of became this sort of massive extrovert. Like, it's almost made me like the, uh, I don't know the words, but it's just, it's turned me into like the most outgoing person. Well, that's great. I mean, it, it, it probably bolstered your confidence because, you know, you know that there's thousands of people listening to your work and enjoying it. Um, for me, it's... I don't know. Um, I think that it's, I don't know why I haven't become more outgoing. I think it's maybe my, my imposter syndrome that I constantly struggle with. And I guess a lot of creative people do, but you know, I'm always, always over judging what I do and worrying about, Oh, I didn't say that word right. Or, or this didn't come out exactly right. Or maybe I should have made this part a little louder or whatever. Um, and not just my own narration, but just the show in general. So there's, I'm always hypercritical of, of the way that it's produced and what goes out. Um, but it has to go out. So eventually, you know, I get it to the point where I'm happy enough with it. Um, sometimes several months later, I can listen to it and I'd be like, wow, that was a really great episode. But it's so hard to yeah. do like right afterwards because I've heard the same story and the same voices and, you know, the show itself like 40, 50 times before each episode goes out. Um, which is another reason why I'm so thrilled that, you know, you and I were able to develop this rapport and this relationship and, and, and get the show to the new level with, with the music, because before I worked with you, I was using a lot of Kevin McLeod stuff, uh, from Incompetech, which to listeners probably means nothing, but you know, uh, people that are in the know kind of know his stuff. Uh, I've actually talked to Kevin before and interviewed him for, you know, the old ninth story podcast. And, uh, it's just like, 
it took me hours. I mean, to put together a 40-minute show would take me, just for the music, at least eight hours. Yeah. And that's arduous to me because not only am I doing the music, but, you know, I'm doing the mixing and, and a lot of times the narration. Back then, whenever I first started doing it, I was doing all the narration, all the mixing, building the website, putting all the shows out there on the different platforms. So it, it's a it's a lot. I can't imagine how annoying it must be to, to be trying to find like a certain feel because I can just sort of play like keyboards because I know what I want it to sound like. It's easy. But when you're trying to find something that's already been made and you have to sort of go through an entire library of sounds, yeah. of tracks, and then you find one, but then you realize it kind of clashes with the narration. Yeah. You have to go back. Um, that was always yeah. the trick is I would take, you know, I'd get a 10 minute long track from him but I could only use like the first four minutes of it because then the, the tempo changes or whatever. And I'm like, okay, now I got to fade and cross fade into this new one because the mood changes there. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I always find really interesting about getting the audio files back from you is where your markers are, because that's usually where the story changes, you know, and the tempo changes or um, there's a subtle change that changes the way the music is produced for that segment. Yeah, I never really, like, it, it completely took me set by surprise that you got those little markers. It's quite cool that it includes it in the file, but it was just like, I felt like it's like someone's looking at my, like, answers to a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, you know my secrets, you know everything I do. But yeah. You've seen my outline. You're just supposed to yeah, read the story. that's it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about kind of like the way that you create because um, this is a big for me it's a big deal to finally get you on the interview for the show because obviously traditionally what we've done is interview just the authors and we have so many other people behind the scenes that do things that I'm really excited to, to be able to start to interview you know you and, and we're going to have an interview later on with Alex Murd who's one of the artists that has been on the show uh, and yeah, has done a lot of work for developing the feel for the show just like you have for the music she's developed kind of the vibe and the feel for the show from a visual aspect because uh, she's done so much of the the main artwork for the show so um one of the things that always fascinated me and maybe we can start with that is the fact that you you start composing and hearing the music based upon the story so i'll send you either the script or the, or the prose version of the story and, and let you read it and from what you've told me before you kind of go through and you start to map out and sound know how the music's going to sound you kind of know how the narration pacing is going to be which that blows me away so I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that so believe it or not the way podcast the way at least the way i do podcast music is very very heavily linked to video game music i mean back in my youth i'm, I'm, I'm 28 i'm still kind of young adult -y. but like when i was back as a teenager i played a lot of video games and if you listen to video game music by itself, this it it makes you feel like you're in the world, but it also it doesn't take away from anything. So you can listen to the music whilst you're working, and you won't really feel like you're listening to music, but you kind of feel like you just sort of like in a so if it's jungle music, you feel like in the jungle. If it's the battle, you feel like you're in a battle. And they make the music to be the pacing of what the character's doing. So. Uh, no point you ever really realize throughout the game that you actually listen to music you feel like oh well, i'm angry at this point so i'm happy at this point and basically from that i've binged loads and loads and loads and loads of soundtracks and it's basically taking that and then putting it into podcasts so it has the same sort of feel and so when you read in the scripts 
for a story, you're not really thinking too much about where the story's leading, but the world that the that the script is set in. So you're kind of thinking about what the character's emotions are for that particular thing. Or if it's like for left, then you're thinking about what floor is Victoria on, or if they're doing a night story, and you can kind of map out the vibe of the show from there. And then, I mean, obviously in horror podcasts, there's always going to be sort of like the suspense moments and the the main, I don't know the word, scary moment, if you like. And there'll be certain ways you have to play around. Like you can't really do that until you get the narration for it. But 80% of it is just finding the right sort of tone. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of map out a lot before you even hear the narration. But um, way back in sort of like the first year of working with you, when you used to do most of the narration for the shows, I kind of got into the, I kind of knew how you were going to say the words and how long it would sort of take you to read through a, a, a page. So it did, that also helped me as well, because I could kind of know roughly how long each sort of chapter of the story would be as well. That's that's really clever. <laughs> so yeah, I like. That. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's it's probably because I, I was just a huge gamer and a huge nerd way back in my teenager that I just got I got so into. Well, I used to think it's because I used to be so into the games, but it's more because I really love world building. Yeah. So one of my favorite film directors is Baz Luhrmann, and I love The Great Gatsby and Moulin Rouge, and he just he has like a certain feel to the world like when you're watching his movies you know it's one of his movies and I, I kind of wanted to re- replicate that with music yeah. um, it's still an ongoing process but yeah yeah it's and, and you know that's that's a really good way of looking at it because I've heard from other composers before like if they've done their job correctly especially like in movies I guess is, is where I've seen this you don't notice that there's there's music um, or or a TV show maybe you might you don't even notice that there's music behind it because they've done their job so well that it's almost subliminal um, and there are times obviously where you want the music to come up and you want to notice the music uh, but there are other times when there's like things happening in the background where the music just kind of becomes a part of the emotional landscape as it were yeah that's yeah I mean it's even bigger for uh films and TV and whatnot because so much is happening in a scene. You've not only got the audio, but you've got the visual and stuff that I imagine I don't know how editors do it, but they find a way of making everything seem so seamless that you don't realize what you're watching or listening to half the time. Yeah, yeah. It's tricky with, with, I think with podcasts too, because all you have is the voice and the music. Um, So there's no, there's no, that's why I think music is so important to the show. There's no picture to carry you know, you don't get anybody's facial expression. You don't get the the large vistas to look at. You don't get the creepy dark alley that you're in. It, it's it all has to kind of come through with the the visceral emotion of the music and and hopefully the the narrator's voice. Yeah, it's. Well, I mean, it's. I, I, mean, I won't. I still. I still think the the podcast is still. The writers and the vo- and the voice actors are still the biggest part of it, but uh, yeah, because it's all just audio, it kind of it shifts the focus quite a lot. And there's a lot of uh, it's its own sort of format. I mean, I know this, it's obvious saying it like that, but 
there's things you have to do in the music that you can't really do in other right. fields. Like, if you play it safe the entire way through, then it will be subliminal. But then it's not really noticed therefore you're not really building too much of the world right. so there's some parts in the story where you have to sort of go well hey are we allowed to swear on this I'm not sure I'm not going to swear on it you're just going to say we're screw trying to screw trying to get the levels between the audio and uh, between the narration and the music right you just got to sort of like I have to get this emotion across Yeah. so we, I will use percussion I will use really loud sounding synths to make it all distorted and creepy because I know it's only going to play for about 30 seconds to a minute mm-hmm. and generally during that minute or two people's ears are focused and they're really into the story at that point anyways you can kind of get away with it Yeah. but uh, knowing that sort of uh, tension and release in the music and the show it's kind of tricky to get right Yeah. but when you nail it it's perfect that's why you're so good Nico you always Thank deliver you. Um, and, and yes, you, you've heard this. You've heard these episodes because you've scored many of them. You can certainly swear if you want to. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of true. I don't that. <laughs> there, there, there's not too many topics that are off the board here at the Wicked Library. Uh, so, so profanity is is fine uh, if it's needed to drive a point home. We don't do it just for profanity's sake, obviously. But hey, you know, sometimes you need a fuck just to give the right <laughs> emphasis. You need that exclamation point. Um, it's like it's coming back to what you're saying about the imposter syndrome thing because uh well in season anyway the wicked library is generally every i'm generally producing a show for you every sort of one and a half weeks right between the wicked library the private collector wicked fairy tales or the lift right and there's times where you sort of in your head you feel like if you had a bigger deadline you would kind of do things differently so you make a show but like you, all what you're really focused on is what you you do, how you would improve it. So you kind of just pass it off as like not your best work. But then you come back to it like three months, four months later when you've not listened to it and you've sort of forgotten how you did things and you listen to it with fresh ears, and you realise that it was just what your weird mindset was at the time. Like it sounds perfect and it sounds exactly how you wanted it to sound, but. I don't know, it's something about having a deadline attached to things that makes you kind of, it warps your head a little. It does. It does. Because you're, you're so driven to get it done as quickly as possible. Um, I mean, there are obviously a lot of shows out there that, that have a, a tighter deadline than we do, but I still feel uncomfortable that, you know, from from production to, uh, to, to from giving you the, the, the narration to getting the score back, sometimes it's a little bit over a week sometimes it's two weeks i think the longest we've ever had is like maybe three three and a half weeks um but i mean there's so much that goes into you know getting the story edited and and getting it ready to go and um especially with the private collector because the 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 story comes over kind of in prose format and probably about midway through last season i started to convert them over to a script format just because it made it easier for me to produce and it made it easier for me to assign the work out to other voice actors to say, okay, you're playing Harry. And then they just have to go through and find their lines as opposed to digging through the, the prose of the story to kind of find where things are. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a constant uh, battle against the clock to get things done. And, you know, whenever it gets to be last season, when it got to be November, I was like, you know what, I'm, 
the end of October, beginning of November, I'm like, okay, I need a few months off because I can't I just get burned out. Yeah. <laughs> I just get burned out. Um, but we're trying to do, you know, this season, I took a look at that and kind of how I felt at the end of last season. And I said, okay, what can I do to make this more sustainable going forward? And, and you know, so that I'm not constantly stuck in this room working so that I can go out and play with my dogs or go to the park or go to the gym or, you know, uh, go down and sit and watch a TV show, you know, things that normal people do. Um, so, so we're, we actually have more episodes. We're going to have an episode every week, uh, except for a couple of times that I'm either traveling or have family in town, you know, where I might be skipping a week or two or something like that. But for the most part, I think we're going to be able to run straight through into next season with maybe a very minimal break. Uh, because what we've done is we've taken all this content that we created for the private collector that we've been working on for like a year, uh, and only the the patron support Patreon supporters were getting that show. Now we're going to release that first season out to everybody while we're working on the second season and releasing that one at a time to the to the supporters. So we kind of have like a, a year's worth of content in the bank, at least one episode a month worth, um, and. You know, I do have a reader now that, that's helping with the show and things like that. So, you know, there's some there's some things that make it a little bit more sustainable, uh, which is good because, you know, I like to get as much content out there as possible. Yeah. Uh, the Private Collector is, uh, I mean, you know how amazing it is anyway, but uh, when we started working, I can't remember when we started working here. It must have been this time last year, I'm guessing. Yeah. Give or take. And... Sort of basically what you said to me when, because we all, whenever we do a show, the first thing you sort of work on is the intro, because mm-hmm. basically everything stems from it, and it's sort of it's easier. For, the way I like to work anyway is you sort of take out the biggest thing first, mm-hmm. and then you basically have all your emotions wrapped into one, and then you sort of stem from that where you want the show to lead. So if you were like a songwriter, if you were sort of making mainstream pop music, it'd be the basic equivalent of making a chorus first like the last course of a song of audio instruments and everything going on and then you sort of work out the rest. But uh, the, the premise of it sounded really cool to say because you were saying it was sort of like a noir detective with HP uh, Lovecraft elements and that sounds really cool in itself. Mm-hmm. But because it's Alan Vleck, like it, it takes on a world of its own. It sort of goes... I don't know how to describe it, but like it becomes its own entity. It doesn't feel... Like anything, else. like anything else right. yeah <laughs> like you can see the influences like you can see where it's sort of detective here you can see where it's all goose and monster but the way it's done especially because it's in podcast form it just feels yeah it's really cool yeah you, you definitely get a, a definite vibe to it and that's one of the things that I, I appreciate so much is you know like the lift has a very distinct vibe and feel to it because of the work that you've done and the same thing with the private collector. It has this very distinct vibe and feel to it. And the Wicked Library is a little different because we do so many different genres and subgenres of horror that, you know, it's not always consistent, but I think that it has a, a, a carry through voice to it, uh, especially, you know, the, the little ancillary things we do. Like we've done a music box version of the, the Wicked Library theme. And as people are hearing today um, with this episode, we have a, a new theme that we created just for. Uh, talking wicked for for these interview episodes where we have uh, what did I tell you I wanted to have like uh, a hipster coffee sh- coffee shop vibe. <laughs> you did. You went to the hipster coffee shop vibe. Yeah, it took quite a few clicks to get it right. 
because I, I was kept on wanting to do like a little jazz trio. So way, way back when I first started being a composer for the show, this is four years ago, I used to work in like a posh restaurant. Mm-hmm. And every Sunday there was like a Sunday jazz where people dine in the restaurant and there'd be like a little jazz band. And I was trying to nail it out, but every time I played a bass note, it just immediately put me back into the private collector. So I had to take ah, gotcha. out the bass and then I replaced it with the electric piano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the nylon guitar. And then as soon as I, as soon as I found that percussion sound, it just sort of blended in, it sort of clicked. Oh yeah, it's great. It's, and I gave you a tough challenge, too, because I wanted to have this coffee shop vibe, but it still needs to be the Wicked Library. It still needs to be based on the original theme, and it still has to have that, you know, certain creepy but laid-back vibe to it. So it, it's 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 fun because I, I give you some of these very difficult tasks sometimes where things are like, well, I want it to be this, but this, like the, the private collector. It's, <laughs> it's noir detective, but it's also H.P. Lovecraft, um, and you nail it every time. So oh, Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um but it has sort of played it so whenever musicians, any musician gets an instrument, they always pick up and they want to play it immediately. And like, I'm now finding myself whenever I'm near a piano or a guitar, the, the first thing I play is probably the Wicked Library theme. <laughs> or if I'm feeling particularly spicy, I'll play the melody for Victoria's theme, the music box theme. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and then I forget everything else that I've ever made, and I can't remember how to play anything else. That's the only two or so. Always know. It's always just ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. So tell me a little bit about all the other projects that you're working on. You mentioned that you're uh, working on other podcasts, obviously. You're working on some true crime shows. You said there's about 20 of them that you're doing. Yeah. So the thing I found out in the podcast is that probably about half of all podcasts are true crime or horror related so <clears throat> getting into the true crime world as soon as you're in you're in as soon as you start making music for one podcast it suddenly overspills because all the podcasts true crime podcasts are close net so you start doing music for all of them so I did one for Lainey who does the true our no Lainey does the true crime true crime fan club podcast sorry I had to get there was a tongue twister then. <laughs> I'll say that again. There was there's a person called Lainey who does the True Crime Fan Club podcast. And she was my first true crime podcast that I did. And as soon as I did the music for her, it just sort of spilled into about ten others and you just you suddenly doing it for everyone. And you, you start to realise how everyone's sort of got their own vibe and their own way to portray the shows. Like even though they're sort of covering the same cases. They present it in different ways, so there's a very fine line between the worlds. So you've got to get make sure the music's right. Yeah. I mean, it's the same for the Wicked Library because, yes, it's all horror, but every story is so different. You've got to make sure you're not just sort of blending the genre, as you will. Yeah, I mean, you worked on the the legends, myths, and and I guess what uh, Tanner brought that back as a as a, a private subscription only thing but you did uh, a lot of work on the legends myths and whiskey w- legends myths and whiskey podcast, whiskey podcast. See, yeah, we, see, we, we, we both can't pronounce it it's, it's catching um but you did so many different cultures and so many different uh styles of story i think that that was a, a great stomping ground to to kind of develop the repertoire that you have now 
that was yeah so the legends of whiskey podcast especially when it, in its uh, early days we basically did we basically did like sort of 10 minute folklore stories from anywhere around the world so one one week you'd be doing sort of canadian the next week you'd be in iran and you've got syria and then you've got japanese stories and you've got nordic ones and so every week you're basically just learning new culture and it's exposing you to uh look into music a different way because not only are their instruments different but they have completely different scales and they don't really s- stay to our notes as well so we've got cdefga they go into the sets between the notes so especially indian music there's no real like it's completely different to us yeah so it's really really hard to sort of uh get into the mindset and just sort of forget everything you knew about music and really focus on it um and it's sort of it it's sort of like a boot camp if you, if you will to sort of throwing you in at the deep ends that you although you don't really know how to make the music yet you know you will get there eventually yeah so from there from legends myths of whiskey podcast i started doing audiobooks with them uh, so we did beowulf and we did uh one called Japan, the Mythos Symphony, which is like all these little folklore stories on Japan culture. Uh, and then we did Odysseus and Homer and Jason and the Argonauts, like all the big hard heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of forget how much I've done because everything's just happened so quickly. But yeah, it's about seven or eight audiobooks at this point. Um, yeah, and from there, I've done The Shadows at the Door as well, which is like a British horror podcast with David Alt mm-hmm. and Mark Nixon, who both... Mark Nixon's a writer who's been on... I know he's been on the left. I'm not entirely sure he's been in the Wicked Library. Yeah, he was um, early in season six, and of course, you know, Mark uh, Mark and I have worked together on The Shadows at the Door anthology. He has one of my stories in there, and yeah. I narrated uh, some of those stories along with uh, Cindy. Uh, so yeah, Mark. Mark and I have had a, a long history. He was originally a guest on uh, Ninth Story podcast as well, uh, talking about uh, Mr. James and and like Christmas stories and the horror elements tied to Christmas stories through uh, Mr. James and ghost stories and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of wild how everything's just sort of became what it is now because you kind of it's been. I mean, I've been writing soundtracks for just about four years now but we joined maybe about three and a half years ago mm-hmm. together and back then it just kind of feels like a, almost like a close-knit group of friends who are all doing the projects Yeah. and uh, and now because everyone's became so established in their own field like it just kind of feels it's really really weird that you just sort of grow up with them and I'm, I'm so grateful that everyone's allowed me to be not only to let them work on their shows but to be there sort of in-house composer like I'm the only composer for a lot of these shows uh, I swear, like I mean I'm, I'm not going to lie the most work still comes from yourself because you've given, you've given me three and a half podcasts to do Yeah, and it's just it's incredible that I get to do this for a living because not only am I making music for a living but I get to have so much variety and depth every, every week yeah it's really really cool and there's so much freedom as well no one's really shutting me off and saying well if I hire you you're only going to be working for me like there's no rivalry going on yeah. like 
because you hear it in sort of like TV shows and like video game companies, like people make them sign these stupid contracts and say you're not allowed to join anyone else, you're not allowed to work in anything else whilst you're working on this one project. And it's just I can never do that. I just feel like I want to be everyone's friend and I want to make music for everyone. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've always been a big proponent of that too, is like to, to be able to do for multiple shows. Because I think the more... I mean, it's like you said earlier, the, the more of these that you do, the more experience that you have, the more everybody benefits from it. So, you know, you, you learn a new trick by doing this one show and you get to apply that to others. Plus, there's, you know, all this cross-pollination that occurs. And it, it's one of the things that I look at in doing the show behind the scenes is just, you know, all these relationships that have developed between authors and artists and, and uh, composers and producers and just all these folks that do different things that, you know, through what we do with the wicked library and the lift and you know then what they do with their own stuff just kind of all these alliances and uh cross-pollination that occurs where you know if you look at one of those things and you pull a thread you're like well if this hadn't happened none of this other stuff would have happened uh and and i i think that's the the coolest part about collaborating on all this stuff and working with different people is just how it enriches everybody yeah massively so and I guess, like, I think this is where it's made me feel more outgoing. Because, we, I mean, I, I see the way of making music for shows is I, I kind of think it's the same way how actors approach their roles. Like, so, so like, say, uh, Kerry Mulligan in The Great Gatsby, like, you're very aware that it's an actress playing Daisy, but it's, it's uh, what do I mean? Yeah, they kind of encompass and become that that character. They take on their attributes and dive deep into it. And I'm, and you know, it's the same way when you narrate and and you know, uh, do all the voice acting work. And I imagine it has to be the same for when you're creating the music. You know, each character kind of brings something new to the to the story, and you kind of delve deep into learning that character. And I think especially for you know someone like Victoria. Um, or, yeah. you know, Frank for the private collector or the librarian where, you know, you kind of start to get these character themes that develop and you can kind of tell whenever it's that character, it has to sound a certain way. And, and I've always found that fascinating in music. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, I don't I, I don't think I ever understand how it happens or why it happens, but like it just it's really cool that it does happen. It's visceral. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just yeah. exactly. It's something that just kind of occurs. Um, so, so why don't we talk a little bit about your your uh, LP that you had come out? Yeah, so stemming from what I was saying about you, I've always been making music for other people's worlds. I mean, they're all fictional worlds. I know it kind of makes it sound a bit daydreamy, but uh, I always, I wanted to make I wanted to make sure I had my own imprint in the world. I wanted to make sure I was making something that was original to myself and who I was, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to do when you're just doing it without any vocals when it's all instrumental because you kind of yeah you have to you basically use an instruments where people have heard these instruments before but you combine them in a way which is unique to you and to build something especially when you're making music for podcasts because in some way you're always in the background it's mm-hmm. mixing it up to make it realise that the EP is all you and everyone's listening to everything that you do so it's it sounds stupid when I say it, but it's a hundred percent honestly who I am as a composer. And whenever when I released it in January, it kind of felt like how how to explain. It. I mean, I'm 
I, I think maybe what you're what you're trying to talk about is like kind of how you find your own voice. I think something that writers will identify with as well is your influences come through very strong whenever you first start writing. And I assume it has to probably be the same for music. Like when you first start, you're going to sound a lot like who your influences are. But as you, you start to work through it and you develop your own identity, there's almost, I mean, so it's why musicians always put out solo albums. Eventually it's like, this is the band that I'm in, but this is how I sound. Um, and I think it's, it's an important part of kind of growing up as a, as a, as a creator and as an artist is to, to, to know what your voice is and say, okay, this is how I sound. I can sound like this if I need to, but this is me. Yeah, that's exactly it. See, this is why you're the writer and I'm the musician. <laughs> you can, you know how to eloquently pull it together so correctly. And I'm just like, they're saying, I think this and this, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's mostly that, and it's because I wanted to make it feel like how I felt back in 2015 when I was transitioning, because basically my career, my life has it been, is that I was a mathlete, whilst I was in school, I was a huge nerd, and my whole family, myself included, kind of assumed I'll go to university, I'll get a maths degree, I'd probably be an accountant or a banker or something really, really rich in money, and I'd travel the world and do that life and it's as soon as I hit university I realised oh my god this is not what I want this is not what I want to do and it's because I moved from Lancaster in Northern England to Glasgow in Scotland and I don't know what it is about high school and college but you kind of put it in your head you kind of feel like well as soon as I get my grades as soon as I move out of the hometown everything will just magically click and everything will be fine and my life will be happy and I got to university it's like oh my god this can't be what my life is going to be this cannot be it so I made the half stupid but half the only option I could really do of quitting university and I went to being a waiter for six years, six years and during those six years I was working 45 hours a week and then coming back and then studying and studying and studying music and then 2015 was the year when it all clicked and everything started to come together so I got in contact with you but I was also making my own soundtracks and I was making music that finally sounded like me. And I wanted to make sure this EP was honest to who I was back then, this whole sort of euphoric feeling, but also blurry and everything happening so quickly. I wanted to make sure I got all these emotions. So even though there's no words, and even though it's only like a, I think the total track length is only seven minutes. From start to finish, you kind of get this whole sort of euphoric, massive oh my god I finally found who I am oh my god this is what I want to do for the rest of my life this is exactly who I am this is who I'm meant to be yeah. and it's like a little minute long piano track at the end to sort of say it where it's all calmed down and it's almost like a relationship once you sort of got past the sort of first few months of sort of like the honeymoon phase mm-hmm. and like you're still in love and you're still happy but it's a different it's like a sort of peaceful kind of happiness yeah, there's a mature love that, that develops. In the beginning, it's kind of that infatuation and the you know the the, the buzz of everything being new and, and perfect. And I think when it really develops is when you start to accept and appreciate the the things that aren't perfect, the imperfections. The imperfections are what make it special. Um, right. And and I think the same thing 
you're saying is like you eventually get to a point where you're like, okay, it's not going to be as glamorous and beautiful as I thought it was going to be. It's going to be something more and better because it's going to be real. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm naturally quite a optimistic person anyway. And I'm quite, a, I mean, my composer name is We Talk of Dreams for a reason. Like I'm very dreamer-esque, yeah. but it's like you're saying, it's very much like a homely feel. It's much more than just being like a, yeah, it's kind of like having like a family home to return to rather than like going away to like Vegas for a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> to put it bluntly. That's but right. um, yeah, so the EP is called Building Blocks and it's um, like it's under We Talk of Dreams and it's everywhere. Uh, that was a really cool moment as well because when, when you're trying to get your music on Spotify or iTunes or basically any of the streaming services or the internet, you, you have to go through like a, a label so you join one of these labels and you upload your music one by one and it, it goes through it with you like making sure the artwork's correct and all the titles are correct and then there's this bot, there's this little button at the bottom that just says ready to send to the world and you send it and you just see it going everywhere all at once it's really cool really <laughs> terrifying but like I know I understand yeah. like people's buzz when they release an album because it's, it's out in the world and you can't change it anymore it's like it's done but if, you, if you've done it how you wanted it to be I mean, the CP has taken me three odd years to make. You're happy with it. It's perfect. It's, it's exactly how you want people to portray you. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's made me feel more outgoing rather than introverted in what we're doing is because being a composer is so much of who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so happy for people to know me through my music. Because I feel that's probably where I'm being the most honest. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I mean that that extends to everything. So, let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, some of the stuff that you've done for the Wicked Library. What are what are do you have some of the um, scores that you've done that maybe were more challenging than others for one reason or another, and maybe some that you were proud of that you were able to, to pull off? So probably one of the first ones that did. And it's one of our Vlex, one of our Vlex stories. If I can remember the name of it, what would it be? Season six? Yeah. Dear My cousin Gavin. Dear cousin Gavin. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the first story we did, which really shocked me. I think that one is the first one because that really pushed me to the limits at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's that's probably one of the first ones I was really proud of. As one of the, as one of the works I did for the Wicked Library. Well, after working because on so much true crime, I mean, I, I bet that some of the stories on the Wicked Library sound tame now in comparison. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of darkness, if you will. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's like I, I picture myself as this little um, innocent little kids before I did all this podcasting, and I used to get scared of watching horror movies. Like, I used to get scared of The Ring. Mm-hmm. And now I go back and I watch all these horror movies and stuff, and nothing really scares me anymore. It's just like, where's that buzz gone? <laughs> it's just like I became so <laughs> immune almost to it. Yeah, yeah. There is, there is the odd story every now and then that really gets me, and then there's the odd movie as well, like, uh, I think it's called A Quiet Place. Okay, yeah. I think that, that really hit me. But anyway, going back to the Wicked Library, yeah, Dear Cousin Gavin was probably the first one I did. First one I did that I thought this is this podcast is right for me because it, you, you kind of like I say it's almost like an actor performing for a role it's, you have to get into the mindset of the uh, the killer and the victims 
and it really pushes you to sort of figuring out how it sounds musically and it's there's one scene um, I don't want to give away spoilers because it's such a good story but the his Gavin's first victim that scene the music for that is where I was really really proud of what the end result was yeah it's where I started to fall in love with sort of static, static sounds and distorted buzziness and simps and stuff. Uh, yeah, I was really proud of that one. But uh, probably one of my favourite ones is probably one of the most recent ones. Like, we're talking about digging. Really love this one. Because not only is it a World War One story, um, but it's also... It doesn't give anything away into the sort of last five minutes about what's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a couple of hints from the guy I've, I've forgotten his name, but the guy who's in the hospital ward and he keeps insane stuff that that um, hints that the colossus coming. But uh, I really, really wanted to make a score for well, I say historical drama. It was set in World War One. But not using the typical sounds that you associated with World War One dramas, because mm-hmm. when you listen to them, you kind of think of uh, orchestras and violins and strings and everything's all somber. At least in the British ones, I'm not sure what it's like for Americans. But everything feels very. This is Britain. We'll make sure our country stays strong and proud. And this is what home feels like. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to feel really dark, really gritty, almost like you're in the heads of the guys, and especially when they realize going over I really wanted to capture what it feels like just before you go into no man's lands just before the next wave's about to hit mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure you also captured that sudden fear of the Colossus so what I did to make it feel like a battlefield is I took loads of low booming drum sounds echoed it massively so it sounded like it was really really far away but I made sure I kept hold of Lou Boom, so it felt massive. So for yeah. the entire last sort of five, six minutes, it feels almost shell shocky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I kept in the static sound. I don't know how to describe that sound in it. So it kind of feels like you, you're trying to keep focus. Every boom, every hit is making you sort of lose track of what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And then when the Colossus comes in, I basically got a bassoon, a low woodwind instrument, attached it to an amp, and then I just messed with the pitch so it sounded like almost almost half like a siren and almost like a a groan of this huge beast coming. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that that I was just I was so excited when the script came because I wrote that before you gave me before I looked at the narration and mm-hmm. it's just like this is exactly what I want to do I had all these instruments later I was like oh please let me do this let me do this let me do this and all the same I was like yes <laughs> yeah I, I really I really really love doing that sort of sounds yeah it's, it's it was a fun story to do it's uh, I, I think you know there's there's a huge changeover like you're talking about in the story where you know all this kind of battlefield stuff is going on um, and, and you you kind of get the sense that like this is what life becomes. There's almost like a, a mundanity to it, you know, a certain level of like acceptance and almost boredom that occurs, even though there's all these terrible things happening. And then you get to the point where it's like something new and even more terrifying when he looks up and he sees that the men are charging them, but they're not actually charging them. They're running right through and they're trying to escape. So at first 
they think there's there's an attack coming and it's actually just like there's something even worse behind them coming towards them it's like the animals in the forest just go running past you type of thing yeah it was really really well written it was just an unwell narrated unwell edited the whole thing was just yeah I mean all the stories are but that one in particular just it really I was in the right mindset from the get go like because there's some there's sometimes with music you either you're really inspired and everything comes out and it happens in like 10 minutes and boom there's a whole thing done or you're there two weeks later trying just to do one minute <laughs> <laughs> and there's no in between. It's either all in or like nothing's happening. Yeah. So you ever feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a professional musician. This is who I am. This is how I get a job done. Or it feels like I'm an absolute failure. And we're just going to tell everyone that's it. I'm done. I'm hanging up my headphones and that's it. I'm walking away. <laughs> there's no in between. It's the same way with anything, man. If it makes you feel any better, writing is the same way. Sometimes you'll sit down and you can crank out a short story in a, in you know an afternoon or an evening. Or, or, or my best is usually a couple days. Um, other times it's like months go by or you hit a wall, you know, a, you know, three, four days in and you're like, I got to set it down. I can't, I, I can't figure this out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how that happens. Uh, but I, I, I almost feel like sometimes it's the ones that, um, I, I can't say that though. I was going to say sometimes it's the ones that you struggle the most with that you end up being the most pleased with. But I think if I listen to something or read something six months down the road, they're both kind of, they both have their own things that are beautiful about them. Right. Yeah. I feel that way too. I mean, there's that. And then it also, no matter how much you try and disguise it, there's always some sort of imprint of who you are at that point. Mm-hmm. Like it almost feels like a diary entry of who you were in your life at that point. I don't know how to describe it as well, because even though you're doing horror and wicked library stuff, it's still, you can still remember what you were like back then. But, uh, yeah, because Victoria's theme for the lifts, music box, that came out really quick. I mean, you you gave me the initial blueprint blueprints for it, but that came out really really quickly. Yeah. But um, if I compare that to, uh, let me compare it to some of the Wicked Library things. The coffee shop, uh, the coffee shop theme that people heard at the beginning of the, today's episode. The coffee shop theme, and then suckle my suckle is poison. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From last season. That, that great one, one took me ages and ages and ages to figure out because I was trying to get that almost Victorian London feel to it, but it wasn't quite right because the story is more not Lovecraftian, but something like that. And it's, it really makes you cringe and get grossed out at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That one took a very long time. I love the story. And it's by Madeline Swan as well. He's incredible. But uh, yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. She, I mean, she writes a lot of Bizarro stuff, so you can definitely feel that in there. And then adding that Victorian, very British layer to it, I can understand why that one might have been a little bit, a little bit of a tough nut to crack in the beginning, but it came out perfectly. <laughs> Do you know, have you ever watched Family Guy? Oh yeah, uh, and it, it's probably like the season one, and uh, Peter gets jealous of Lois because he never got to be a mother, and he wakes up Stewie. Oh, yes. And he starts to nurse Stewie, and then Stewie sort of pulls out his hair from his mouth, and then he realizes it's a little horror. <laughs> that, that's what I was picturing. That's, that's <laughs> something like shock and realization was going through my head when the, yeah. the main part of Suckler's Poison came out. So where else can people find your work? Where can people go if they want to find out about all things Nico? So 
I've now got into the habit of keeping my website completely up to date at any point, which is a quite a renowned thing for me. But wetalkofdreams.com, or we talk of dreams anywhere. So, face, uh, not Facebook, it's only Facebook, but Twitter, Instagram, or www.wetalkofdreams.com. And my website has my entire portfolio of all the podcasts and all the audiobooks I've ever done. That's awesome. So, I, I need to go take a look then because I don't think I've looked at it for a few months. I know you yeah. were, you went through a, a period of time where you were working on that pretty heavily to get everything up to date. So I'm interested to see all the stuff that's on there. It's probably stuff you've done that even I'm not aware of because you are a busy I, fella. I don't really. You never, I never, I mean, my websites, I like keeping things looking clean. Oh, yeah. I don't like things being too messy. But even then, even trying to get, I didn't realize how much work goes into website building. And mine's just basically a, an extended portfolio, but like trying to get all the artwork the same size and making sure all the music fits right. in the right format, it takes so long. Yeah, it's rough, man. <laughs> it is. I mean, I do all the the website stuff for the for the Lift and for the Wicked Library, of course. And people don't understand sometimes how much goes into just getting one page to look the way that it's supposed to. <laughs> You know, you, you get a template down after a while and you're like, okay, I, I can't change this because this finally works. Uh, but I mean, you know, just to, to put the podcast together, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and I really appreciate everything that you do for the show and, and having you involved in, you know, the Wicked Library and the Lift and the Private Collector and everything else that we're working on. Wicked Fairy Tales, you know, I usually close by letting you, you uh, talk about where people can find you, which you did. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Wicked Fairy Tales too because that's fun. Uh, it's something that we only give to our five dollar Patreon supporters. For now, we we may we may sell a collection of those at some point down the road. But it's it's different because I have this great love of of fairy tales and traditional storytelling, and to take these, I don't want to say original because what is original? But these older, darker versions of the fairy tales before Disney and. Um, modern writers for children got a hold of these things and kind of sanitized them. There's some really dark and disturbing stuff and uh, they're all told by the librarian. So that's fun. And you do an amazing job with the music for these things. I mean, the theme song was absolutely perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. And then, you know, obviously the, the, you know, the, the episodes themselves, you get that right balance between dark and twisted and, you know, kind of what we would consider childlike and fairy tale, and blend them together. It reminds me a lot. Like whenever we first started talking about, it, I was like, "Have you played the game Fable? It should feel like yeah. that." Yeah, that's exactly what you sent me. You sent me basically. I really like Fable. I wanted to sound like Fable, and then you said, "You said something like Fable, but you also wanted to still sound like the librarian." Yes. Um. There's something. I mean, especially because you were doing the first story to us from Hans Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. And his stories mixed with the way Nelson Powell's does the librarian, it just sort of it goes hand in hand. And there's a sort of yeah, it this Nelson Powell's is, a, is an incredible voice actor, but when he plays the librarian it becomes so natural. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I highly recommend Wicked Fairy Tales for anyone who's a fan of the librarian because it's just incredible. And it sort of it started off I started doing the scores very uh, almost antique soundings and making it sound like Fable, but the more 
it's gone and because we're on, I think six stories now or something like that it's became more like the librarian so instead of using like a nice piano or a nice music box I started using like a a broken version of it yeah or yeah so something which I, I kind of just picture to be in the librarian's library or his basement I uh, just picture him sort of playing it whilst he's telling the story yeah yeah, we, uh, we'll be nine episodes in as of the 20th, I believe, is when the next one's supposed to come out, um, uh, which is the story of the youth who went forth to learn what fear was. Ah, uh, yes, that classic tale. Yes, the, the old, the old, that old chestnut. Um, I can't believe it's been that many already. Yeah, I know. It's, it goes fast, right? I can't believe, I mean, it's already April 10th. Yeah. Jeez. Quite a few. Oh, this is scary because I'm I'm looking at the schedule and I've just realised you've scheduled things in for the 23rd of February 2020. Oh yeah, all the way down to actually, I think we go all the way up to May 3rd of 2020. Uh, yeah, for, for the for lift episodes. Um, yeah, so the schedule is always in flux and things are always changing as as life happens and as things happen. But uh, I do my best to kind of feel like I have some map of what the, the you know roadmap of where we're going um, you know for the next several episodes at least but yeah 2020's uh, little May of 2020's a little ways away over a year away and we're already planned out to that far so that's really cool <laughs> um, um, so because I, I told you about this restaurant I used to work at um, it's called Ubiquitous Chip I mean I don't really want to give them a, a, a shout out I don't want to feel like I'm advertising on your show. But well, if you do work for them, you're, you're welcome to advertise, my friend. <laughs> so the thing, the, the reason why I worked there, I wanted to work there whilst I was in Glasgow, is because Craig Ferguson, who used to host the Late Late Show, used to work there before he moved over to America and, and became a Late Late Show host. That's what you mean. But like, this place is like one of the best places in Scotland for Scottish food. It's like the, one of the best fine dining restaurants. So... Whenever celebrities come to dine here, whatever people are rich or important or famous, they'd always dine at this place. And like the whole two and a half years I was working and whilst I was studying and studying as a musician, I kept thinking, wouldn't it be cool someday that I was on the other side of like this serving thing if I was one of the people coming to this Russian to eat and have like a a business meeting or I'm just like in town with like really cool people. Mm-hmm. And like I just I keep having these images of me moving back to Glasgow and you either yourself with yourself or other people coming over and like me actually having what we could call business meetings in this restaurant. Well, we had a, we had a nice meal in in Liverpool when I was over there last year. Uh, oh but, yeah, that was really cool. But yeah, we'll we'll have to we'll have to put that on the uh, on the bucket list. And uh, whenever I get over there one of these times, because uh, my sister lives in Germany, at least for a couple years now, uh, she'll be moving back after that. But uh, I'll be over a couple more times before she moves. I'm sure. That's that's definitely gone on the bucket list because it's just yeah. And whenever yeah. and whenever the Wicked Library and the Lift become you know best selling uh, TV shows, best or uh, you know record breaking TV shows, record breaking movies, or or whatever path they take eventually, then you know we'll obviously have to go out and celebrate. I, I was going to expect you to say they'll have like a little plaque in the restaurant saying Nico Vitesi, we talk of James used to work here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> It's tremendous. You're, you're, what you said sounds nice too. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, uh, hey, I really appreciate you taking so much time, and and I know it's it's late over there, so I mean, uh, you know, the, the time difference does us no favors, but it's always it's always a joy to talk to you, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk about what you do for the shows, and um, I encourage everybody to go out and check out your website and pick up your EP, and lots of good stuff out there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for keeping me a part of the family for so long. Absolutely, it's been amazing. Absolutely. My brother from another continent. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Tati bye, everyone. That's right. Bye-bye, Nico. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.